The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Kev, I know it's not your favourite job, um, but uh, you've been at the the new studio, which can't wait to see, by the way, uh, making IKEA flat pack furniture. What you like with a flat pack, Kev? <laughs> not so good then. <laughs> How are, are all the bits in there, though, Kev? Uh, well, I, I've got approximately about three hundred things left over <laughs> after I finished. Screws, good. brackets, little bits of black things, and stuff that's. <laughs> some plastic things and stuff. I, I think you might find that what you need to do when you're making flat pack is to do it sober. The Fujicast. Then it might actually work for you. Have, have you have you tried actually putting this stuff together without the Heineken? Oh, God. <laughs> I, I'm just going to inject alcohol <laughs> into my eyeballs to get through it. <laughs> oh, it'll all be worth it, though, when... Um, when Bunker Malmesbury, because of course today we're talking to you in your house again, aren't we? That's why it sounds a little bit different. Um, but when Bunker Malmesbury, with it, with all its tech, is all working, ah, oh, it would have been worth all that, all that hassle, Kev. It really would have been. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't sound convinced. In the old days, of course, um, Gemma would have been uh, w- would have been piecing this stuff together because she's like a whiz. Yeah, it would have been done in half an hour. In, bless her, in fairness, she did come. She helped me as much as she possibly could until 11 o'clock, and then she proclaimed she was gone off for a hack on the horse. On the horse? Oh, how is Star? <laughs> <laughs> is, is she okay? Right, you and your questions today from our electronic mailbag, and of course, also through the Fujicast private Facebook group. If you are not a Fuji Fujifilm shooter, do not worry, it's a big community, and whatever flavour you shoot, you're very welcome. Thank you to our friends who support us on Patreon, and we'll do some bump to the fronts uh, in a moment. Kev's book of the week this week. What have you got, Kev? Oh, I've got a really good book this week uh, mm. for all music lovers and uh, for fans of photography. You're going to love it. I'm, I'm going to leave it until later, though. All right. I'm not even going to tell us who it's by. No, oh, no. And okay. it's 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 one of those ones that's absolutely brilliant, but easily obtainable. <laughs> right. Okay. And it's not going to cost you. Um, seven IKEA nope. flat pack sets. Nope. Okay. Nope. All right. And uh, the fellow what invented IKEA, he needs to be honestly. Yes. I remember <laughs> when I was a kid. That. You know, my parents would say we need to get a new wardrobe for mm. your cup- for your bedroom. Yeah. And so we'd go down George Street Furnishers. We'd pick a wardrobe, and then a fellow in a grey overall suit would turn up, and he'd stick it in the room, and then he'd go again. And now it comes like in ten thousand bits. Kev, I thought I thought I was older than you, but I think you're older than me. Oh, I feel older than you. Well, when, I look older than you. Since when did people turn up in uh, in a grey suit and and just de- <laughs> and deliver your? You make them sound like they're sort of shop steward gear. That that's from the days when when people in when was it, Kev? That people in rugby used to wear um, used used to wear the long um, uh, workshop coats didn't they the brown coats do you remember those days <laughs> yeah that was a very very long time that, ago i mean that's what you're making it sound like <laughs> yeah but but i don't understand i was thinking about it today you know when i was swearing and kicking the doors that you know what why can't it be that you go to a shop you pick the thing and the man comes and sticks it in why, why have we become this world where it turns up on a lorry and 
in hundreds of bits, yet we pay a lot more for it. Something's gone wrong in the in the uh, in the world. I really it's don't. Upside down. I don't think if you were looking at um, eggs for eggs, apples for apples, or whatever the expression is, that your <laughs> that your IKEA flat pack would would cost more than what that man used to bring that wardrobe round for. Oh, I don't know. Uh, oh, you used to stick fifty p in the back of the telly. It used to last a whole month. <laughs> God. Netflix uh, costs 10 quid a month now. During the war. <laughs> and I didn't mention who we have as an interview today. We have uh, the wonderful Kara Mew, um, who we've been trying to get for a long, long time. But there's uh, all sorts of reasons why she hasn't been able to talk to us, which you will find out in the in the interview. So that's what's coming up today. Right. We should start with a bump to the front. Have we got any new members that you want to mention? Or are we going uh, to- we have got a few members, but I'm, I'm going to do that periodically. Oh, are you? So, oh, yeah, I'm not doing it today because okay. I haven't got the spreadsheet. <laughs> Is it in a flat pack somewhere? Yeah, it's somewhere. <laughs> it's somewhere in the in the studio. <laughs> So let's go straight for a bump to the front question. This one is from one of our patrons, Edward Hubbard, who doesn't live in Kev's cupboard. Um, hello, Kev. Hi, Neil. Question for the show. I've been following the rumours and the pending announcement of the 27mm with the uh, aperture ring, all but set to pre-order. But then the call went out for a, a parent volunteer to serve as a team photographer for my kid's softball team. Uh, more or less the same time, the uh, 70 to 300 mil was also announced. So I'm deferring the 27 mil for now, um, becoming a sports photographer with the 70 to 300. I know Kev's um, shot some sport in the past, and I'm looking for any guidance on settings. I assume that I'll be uh, shooting aperture priority. I've uh, not had much calling uh, for, for shooting and bursts. Any recommendation for a setting that gives me reasonable chance of capturing a decisive shot uh, of a catch or a slide home, but not so high that I blow my memory cards. <laughs> what do you mm. think? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, burst mode is, that's what it's there for, really, for things like sports and stuff. So don't be afraid to use it. But, of course, you know, you need to you need to kind of understand the game, I suppose, is, is the most important thing. And I, I, Did you say handball? Was it handball? No. Um, softball. Softball, softball. Softball, yeah. 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 I, I don't really know that sport, but, uh, you know, be prepared to to know where the ball's going, you know, uh, uh, anticipate the action and then shoot, you know. So watch, 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 and that's that's probably the way to do it. And then in terms of using burst mode on the um, Fujifilm camera, it depends on which one you've got, but you've got choices of you know 11 frames per second. You can even go up to 30 frames per second if you use the in the, the sports mode, the sports yeah. finder mode on, on the X-T3, X-T4, X-100V, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, continuous focus, pop it on continuous focus, pop it on CH. In your uh, camera settings, you've got custom settings for the continuous focus. And one of them, the one that I find works best is uh, for kind of rapid sports that's back and forth and things like that, is I've no idea which number it is and I've no idea which settings of it is, but it's got a picture of a, uh, a woman on skis. Oh, so yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the one. one. Yeah. And that's the one I typically would use for, for fast sports stuff. If I was photographing rugby or football or something, that's that's what I would be doing. It's a lot of yeah. concentration, isn't it, when you're, you're photographing a rugby or, or football match? I mean, you've... you've I got, used to love it. I used yeah. to love... I used to go to Bristol. I had a press pass at Bristol Rugby and uh, this was when I was shooting my Canon years and years and years ago. And I used to go down there, and of course, I, I the, you had all the proper press photographers, you know, from the the newspapers and and you know, Rugby World magazine and all that kind of stuff with their massive, massive, huge lenses. And I would turn up with I, I shot most of it on the Canon had like an 
90 mil macro lens or something or 85 yeah, you mil mean the was it? 100 mil macro i think 100 or was it 105 that rings a bell no, 100 Sigma do a, a 105 um, macro, but it's definitely 100. It was either 100, 105, or anyway, something like that. It was like a macro lens. And I just used to shoot everything on that because I, I didn't have to yeah, – I was doing it for myself. I wasn't producing images for anybody else. Yeah. And, uh, and I was getting – I used to love it because I would basically plant myself uh, at the tri-line end rather than on the sides. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd run up, up and down the tri-line watching where the players were going. And then as they were hitting the try line, I'd be firing away. And I had a Canon 1D Mark IV at the time. So it was, you know, Ooh, it was yeah. it was built yeah. for that kind of yes. stuff. Yeah. And I used to I used to get some great shots and I used to shoot it all at F2, which I think was as wide open as that lens would go. So I would get, you know, for every 25 pictures I'd take, I'd get 23 out of focus purely because of the nature of what was going on. Mm. But the one that was in focus was great. Beautiful depth of field, a lot of action. Uh, I used to shoot it at like, 12,800 ISO in the evening games. Um, yeah, I loved that. Really enjoyed that. Did, you you sound like you missed doing it. Why don't, why don't you do a bit more of it, Kev? With all this well, free time that you have, obviously. <laughs> all the time I've got. Yeah. Well, and the yeah, fact that we're not playing sport at the moment, obviously, doesn't doesn't help a lot. But No, I will. I think, you know, it's 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 because it's Saturdays, isn't it? You know, and, and in, in the world, when the world starts spinning again, Saturdays typically. Oh, yeah, weddings. I'm not somebody else's wedding. But, yeah. um you know, but yeah, I, I I used to love doing that and softball. I don't know anything about softball, but it was very I'm sure. It's similar. It's very bizarre this week. I, I had an email from uh, a client in July saying, "Right, we need to have our little preparatory chat about what's going to go on on the day." And I thought, "What wedding? A wedding? A wedding?" That was um, because <laughs> it's essentially been what a uh, well, it'll be a year and f- uh, three March, April, May, June, July, f- a year and four months, won't it? Really? I mean, I've done a few odds and bobs, but but nothing like. You know the the good old days during the war sort of days. Yeah, I know. I, I well, uh, yeah, we got. Who knows? It's different all around the world as well. That's the yeah. thing. I was speaking to somebody yeah. in Germany yesterday who was saying that you know they they seem to be a lot more cautious about things and a lot slower at releasing. Obviously, a lot yeah. slower in terms of vaccine and things like that as well. But so I do hope that you know back to normal pretty soon i i do too ed had another question actually also any thoughts on on which size focus points makes the best sense uh focus point well that, that's quite tricky actually yeah. because the larger the focus point the more chance you've got of getting the shot in focus however if there's lots of players bubbling around and you know you don't want the camera to suddenly start tracking somebody who's uh, you know running across the frame and is not in, in, in your intended subject so the smaller one would be better uh, I would probably go two up from the smallest. There we go. Okay. Uh, there was um, while we're doing bump to the fronts. Um, Lars Hegard said, "Hi Kev, hi Neil. I think hi Kev, and in brackets, and Neil. Thanks for the <laughs> thanks for the extended show notes. Much appreciated. Curated content is always welcome as a source of inspiration. Great interview. He said uh, for you, Kev, this with the the Godfather of Photography podcast." Nice to listen to a baryonyx at the end of the microphone for a change. Yeah, because I I wouldn't imagine he's interviewed very often, is he, really? No, I wouldn't have thought so. Although I I did when I was doing some research, found a few things. Oh, did you? Right, okay. Um, And the extended, yeah, so for those that don't know, for the the patrons, and we are, I'm doing a extended show notes, which is, uh, you know, effectively my travels around the internet during the previous week. So that's been quite well received. Yeah, I was a little Uh, bit concerned about your travels around the internet. Um, I was surprised you shared what you did, really, but there we go. (laughs) 
yeah. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Some things I didn't share. <laughs> <laughs> okay, your question. Uh, my question. Right, so we're going back to the Facebook group um, where we have the the lovely Facebook group. Lots of people putting lovely questions in. Uh, so much so that, once again, I find myself scrolling. Scrolling, 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 scrolling. Jason Renau. That's what we're going to pick. How are we going to see, in the not-too-distant future, the Neil and Kevin Wedding Photo Documentary Academy. In other words, with distance learning having obviously established a new norm, uh, it would establish a strong pool of documentary photographers with a sort of standardised methodology. Uh, mm. enjoy, enjoying mm. too much of a bottle of Romanian Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh, that sounds thank nice. You. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Send some of that through. Romanian wine, by the way, yeah. is very nice. I've not, I don't think I've had Romanian wine. It's very nice. Yeah, it? I've had it. Right. And... Uh, Interestingly, he he um, sell, spells it as Romanian with R U M. Ah, a U instead of an O. Yeah. Well, I, I was having a conversation about this the other day um, about uh, Romania or Romania. What do you yeah, think it is? It's Romania now, anyway. Yes. Um, yeah. It was formerly spelt Romania. Yeah. But, but, oh. but so Romania um, is. I think people. I don't know. I suppose it's a little bit like if you come from. Romania, and then they suddenly change the name to Romania. You probably keep calling yourself Romanian. Well, you're dead right, Kev. I've just looked it up. In in English, the name of the country originally borrowed from the French Romania, R O U, then evolved into Romania, as you said, R U M, and then uh, after World War Two, uh, the name changed again, Romania. Or 1975, actually, 1975, it, it, it officially changed. Goodness, I only re- I only know this because I was talking to somebody the other day about it. Yeah. I, I, anyway, yeah. Uh, I don't know where we were. But back to the question. So is it uh, the Neil and Kevin Wedding Photo Documentary Academy? Mm. Um, yeah, well, we're at, funny enough, we're going to Bucharest to do our first one. <laughs> that's right, yeah, Bucharest. <laughs> yeah, that's where I had, a, I had a wonderful wedding booked in Bucharest, in yeah. Bucharest Cathedral. Oh, uh, wow, Kev, that's... Um, uh, do you know, I've... Uh, that, well, that's where I did the... Um, I'm not quite sure it's fashionable to mention his name these days, but uh, the Michael Jackson concert, that uh, that's that was when I... Uh, oh, in the cathedral? No, not in the cathedral, Kev, at the Bucharesti Stadium, but I went I went to all, all sorts of places like the, uh, the cathedral. Um, what an amazing place. Yeah, well, the COVID got that one in. Oh, OK. So I never went... Um, that's a shame. Yes. So, uh, Kevin and Kevin and Neil Documentary Academy. Well, we have we've we've um, various times talked about different bits and pieces, haven't we? Yeah. Um, you know, we've all we've we've both got different things on the on the back burners, on the front burners, mm. and on the side burners. Um, but we have but talked we, about something over the last week, uh, uh, an idea that I put forward, which I don't know whether mm-hmm. you're humouring me with your. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. We'll get round to it. Answer. This is, ladies and gentlemen, this is like live questioning <laughs> from me. It's like our Facebook Messenger live chat. <laughs> it's a little bit like live chat now. I don't know whether you thought it was a good idea. Should I not be mentioning this now, or is it something we should really hold back and mention later? No, it was a good idea, but don't mention it now. Right, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, And also, by the way, as you probably know by now, if, if I think something's not a good idea, I normally just say, well... <laughs> Yeah. However, <laughs> well, she, no, you didn't because I did say to Sam the other night. I said, "I've not heard from Kev on this idea that we've got about mm mm mm," and um, she said, "Well, you know, that's probably a good thing that he's not answered." I said, "Well, no, usually well, he, he either does one of two things. I, funny enough, since you said, well, I don't know if I use the word well, he either says X or he just won't answer to the email, and that'll be like his reply." 
that's me standing in the corner with my back to you. Yeah, it is a little bit. But actually, he did come back and said it was a good idea, and so we will be doing it, I hope. Yeah. So the answer is to him, yes, there, there yeah. are a, a few things. And yes, there is a big thing next year, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we, in, the, in the olden days, during the war, we used to be able to plan things and say, we will do something on the 21st of whatever, February, 2022 and it'll it'll be there and by the way don't take that date for that's not the day that's not the date but we'd be able to say that's what we're doing but we can't these days basically we can't do anything we can't we can't plan anything uh, until you know until we get past the 21st of june and you know they just say yes go for it well I, I did get my I, pardon um i i got my um uh, that's not where you have your injection i i got um my um my card today my id card for my for my vaccination job i am now able to go and do it kev i was waiting for all this stuff to come through all the eggs or the ducks are in a line and, I, and i'm ready to go Good. let me at them i'm not even registered with a gp i wonder if that means i won't get my letter uh kev you need to be re- yeah you do <laughs> um you do vote it comes from the government i don't know i, don't, I really don't know i haven't been to the doctor since i was 15 <laughs> i'm terrible kev Good heavens, yeah. yeah. Right, um, let's have a... Can I, can I just come around your house? You can do it for me. <laughs> no, Kev, that's not the way it works. That's called the black market. We're not getting involved in that. <laughs> um, here is a question from Sasha Alexander. Um, Kev, Neil, blah, blah, blah. Great podcast, blah, love it, blah. Listen from episode one. Have a notebook full of tips and advice gained from listening to both you and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, question... During your early years as a wedding photographer, when you were just wedding photographers, so no podcasts, no other things going on, what did you do on a day-to-day basis to make your business work? What are the essential everyday work matters that need doing? The reason I ask is that becoming a photographer and having to be responsible for my income, I find myself more often than not thinking, what should I do today? That's a that's a very good question. Hmm. Hmm. <clears throat> Yeah. I well, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, I suppose thinking about this question, I saw this question come in, and I did try and think back to, you know, that that whole process of why did why did one IU we become wedding photographers, and that was generally because you know you wanted a, a better way of life, not necessarily more income, but a better way of life. And so I did find, I have to say, up until, you know, I started doing training and, and all that kind of stuff, that I was pretty good. I would shoot the wedding on a Saturday. I, I didn't typically edit weddings for a couple of weeks, even back in the beginning. Yeah. And and I wouldn't really do much during the week. And that was the whole point of it, That wasn't it? That was that was the reason yeah. why I'd had given up all of the, the nine to five, was so a, I didn't I'm, have to do anything. I'm absolutely with you, because that's exactly what my week was like, I think. Right, well, I, there would normally be a couple of wedding meetings, so I would mm-hmm. chat with people. These are the days before Zoom or Skype, so it would generally be face-to-face at the studio that I had. But that wouldn't really fill up the week. I mean, it would be like a Tuesday and a Thursday for meetings. And then mm-hmm. e- edits at home in the evenings with a, a glass of Romanian uh, cab- Cabernet, whatever that was. Um, and, and that, it was... <laughs> Kev, what a great life. Why don't we go back to that? Yeah, I think we should. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm going to just switch the computer off now. Is that all right? <laughs> that's, that's the <laughs> end of it. It's taking up too much time, this. Yeah, well, the blooming training and 
and YouTube films and Instagram. And, God, that really screwed up our lives, Kev. Well, actually, it was basically when we first started. I mean, you started a little bit before me or a few years before me, in fact. But there was no social media. No, there There, wasn't. No, There was no No. Facebook when I started. No, no, no. Uh, There certainly wasn't any Instagram or anything like that. And, you know, nobody would think about doing YouTube and what have you. It was literally... You know, you'd speak to people on the phone or if you did, if, if they sent you an email and you, you needed to organize a meeting, then it would be face to face. And then, uh, yeah, and then, the, the, you know, the social media thing came along, which is a good thing. You know, yeah. it's, not, it's not a negative thing, but that did change things dramatically because then you suddenly had to start thinking, whoa, especially when Facebook first came along. It's like, right, how, how can I sell myself on Facebook? And so you're thinking about that. You're on Facebook, you're building um, business pages you're and then you're thinking about seo and linking things and marketing and yeah before all of that came yeah. along it was basically a case of putting your feet up and waiting until the next saturday <laughs> <laughs> well let's help sasha here a little bit so say we were setting up this business now and we weren't doing all the other things like training and podcasts and mm. youtube and, and so on and so forth so um say say we were working solely as wedding photographers what do you think your day would or should look like? Now, okay, notwithstanding pandemics, let's just cast all that out for a second. What do you think your day-to-day, your normal day-to-day would probably look like? Well, really, the only thing that needs doing, if you know, if literally the only thing you're doing is photographing weddings, is marketing. Um, and so, you know, you might want to spend a little bit of time on your website and, uh, you know, and obviously the social media side of things. But really i mean if you i think if you asked uh genuinely asked a full-time working professional wedding photographer who and i'm going to caveat this who makes enough money from wedding photography to be their income so it's not you know they're not charging 400 quid for a wedding they're not they don't have a day job or anything like that if they charge enough money whatever that may be if they charge enough money and they have enough weddings, then really there isn't much. You know, of course, you've got to do your website. You've got to get your marketing in place. You might do some schmoozing with venues and things like that. Some people, you know, the the high guys, and, and, you know, you used to do a bit of this, they would, you know, take the venue, um, the the wedding planners, take them for dinner and things like that, you know, all that kind of stuff you can do. Um, But really, you know, if you – I find that – you know, there's there's one of two trains of thoughts really going through my mind right now. You have the people who don't charge enough, and so they they have to you know they think right. I have to get up today. I have to I have to make I have to book more weddings because I'm not earning enough, and that's you know and that might be a consequence of them not charging enough. But then there's also the people who do charge enough, but can't see the woods for the trees in terms of lifestyle, and you know they just want to. And this isn't everybody, of course, but they just want to book more. I need to book more, and yeah. then I can. Uh, you know, I can. I've got more money, and uh, and then I can tell people I've got more weddings. Well, do you know that? But bizarrely, you know, then my wife will leave me. Yeah, but bizarrely, Kev, when I was shooting my enormous sort of the, the few, I, I think it was about three, three, four years that I was doing eighty a year, easily plus. Now that was a time I had a retoucher working for me, um, pretty much full time. But actually, I had more time. <laughs> more free time then than I ever do now because that's that's because the business has branched into so many other things and I think you'll find as a photographer and I wonder whether going forward now that many people will be and you made a very good point whether many people will be able to be full-time wedding professional uh, wedding shooters 
only because mm. I, I doubt that um, I don't know. Is it fair to say that? I, I, I'm not sure that I could run solely a wedding photography business now. I'm not so sure. I think that uh, yes, some people will struggle, and uh, you know, it, I think that you know, it's it's you can't. Not none of us can see it now because we don't know if the if if the if the article in the Guardian is true. We're going to have a swing in twenties revival. And you know, you know what happened after the swinging twenties. A lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, things going on that made people have to get married. (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm reading between the lines now, Kev. I think I know what you mean. There's going to be some stuff going on, isn't there, Donald? Don't be rude. I know you're still hanging in there. I can feel it. Right. So uh, yeah, yeah, you know, you, nobody knows. Uh, yeah. Nobody knows what what the future holds, uh, and and we only have to look at the last eighteen months to see that, that that's true. You know, somebody said on the Facebook group the other day that they they'd only recently started listening to the podcast, and they started from episode one. Yeah, and he's at something like episode thirty five or something, and he said it's really interesting because, of course, we're talking about our business and where it's going and the amount of weddings and all that kind of stuff with no inclination of the brick wall we were about to run into. I know. Like, yeah, no idea. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting because we don't know, you know, that brick wall, we, we appear to be climbing over it a little bit. Now we might be just getting one of our little short stubby legs over the hill. Um, <laughs> but, but who knows? We might slip back down a bit or we might go flying over it and fall into a lovely vat of, Dreamy wine, which would be, <laughs> well, you know, you nobody know knows. The, now, this show comes out on Monday the 15th, doesn't it? Yes. What, you mean you're not recording, you're not actually doing it live on the 15th? No, you know that. But this, do you know what, Kev, this was the last week of normality before um, the extraordinary situation hit. This was what we're going into this week. We, we started the Monday and we thought, oh, it's just another week. Well, it's a little bit horrible going on here and there. And there's, there's the, you know, people talking about this nasty. But by the end of the week, Kev, that was it. Yeah. No, my mates, all my mates were at Cheltenham. Oh, we, child, oh, I didn't yeah. go. We I didn't, didn't go, did we? Well, I, I was supposed to go, wasn't I, with you? You were meant to come, that's yeah. right, yeah. I, I, I think I was, the, I was the first to pull out, I think. Yeah, I didn't go in the end. I didn't want to risk it, but they went. And yeah. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't get, catch anything, but... No. Yeah, that was that was a year ago. We were talking about that the other day. Oh, no, right, okay. So um, back with your questions in a moment, and uh, it's time for this week's guest, Cara Mew, whose documentary work as the glass narrator has been winning a lot of appreciative, admiring eyes of late, as you're about to find out. Uh, for me, though, Cara's draw is as much about well, really, the narrative of her as the client's work that she shoots and shows because she has been able to weave it in 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 such a way that you feel like you're part of her story. So we've been very keen to talk with uh, Kara on the show for quite a while now. This is Kara Mew. Kara, we've been meaning to talk for a while, but despite everything else going on in the world, it's been a bit busy in your world, hasn't it? The last two years in particular, I think. It has. It has indeed, yeah. Um, I think covid I've wiped a year out for everybody, but yeah. equally I've had a new baby and uh, it's just thrown everything a little bit up in the air. What was, it, what was it like having the new baby this time? Because we've got a couple of friends who have had uh, babies and, and we were kind of saying, oh, I, f- I feel like they've not been able to do some of the stuff that we were able to do, like all the clubs and the yeah. singing and the dancing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's been really hard, actually. Um, I've got quite a big age gap 
between my first and obviously my third um 11 years between between them yeah. and obviously this baby is most definitely my last baby so getting me through the pregnancy which was really tough um i was really looking forward to socializing and really throwing myself into being a social mum yeah. and accessing all of these groups which sadly in nelly's lifetime she's 17 months now yeah. went into lockdown when she was four months um I went to one, one swimming lesson in that whole time. So it's been really weird. I'm definitely looking forward to coming out the other side. Yeah, I think we all are, aren't we? You were very, very honest, by the way, and you're particularly in your Instagram feed during the whole, whole thing. It's, it's mm. something you believe in, and we're going to talk about that with you regard to your photography, I know, but it's something you believe in, and you practice what you preach, don't you, really? Very much. I think it's really important. Um, when I first started my photography, I kind of merged lots of different things together but mostly it was a communication thing for me in the sense that sometimes it can be really challenging and difficult to communicate verbally on how you feel where for me I can visually communicate that on maybe a more multi-layer uh, visual way to other people. And with regards to my pregnancy, uh, my last one, um, it was very, very challenging nine months. I spent a lot of time either in hospital or in bed. And I shot an awful lot of images during that time because really... I wasn't able to talk. No. Um, I was so poorly that even just talking on the phone or even just talking to my husband was really, really difficult. So photography became a way of using my voice, um, but visually. So I shot an awful lot of self-portrait work and also like at home still life. Um, I haven't released a lot of the work. I'm still kind of sitting on it at the moment. Oh. Yeah, I think you've got to be honest. And I could have easily put on a really lovely, flowy maternity dress and showed my bump off in the beautiful uh, sunset. But my pregnancy wasn't that. It was puking in an orange bucket. That's, that is what I, I shot. Uh, it was so honest. Um, mm. From your Facebook, I've been, this is, quote you, I've been named as one of the 25 women in photography to follow this uh, International Women's Day. By, that was by Fujifilm UK. And then I saw, I've given myself a headache. Day before that, yeah. you've been voted one of the top 100 female photographers to watch for 2021. It's been a good couple of weeks, hasn't it? I know. I'm, I'm gobsmacked, I think, because and essentially I've had two years out. Um, found out I was pregnant with Nelly in January 2019. And then I kind of came out of hibernation for that and was due my first job on the 22nd of March yeah. 2020. And that got pulled. Yeah. So I've had two yeah. years back to back, really, being in the house. Um, so I was gobsmacked, but obviously massively pleased. Um, yeah. yeah, it was amazing and uh, amazing thing to, to wake up and see. Yeah. That your, morning. your photographic journey starts with it. I mean, it's a lot of people blame their photographic journeys on parents, and yours is no different in that respect because your dad was very into photography, and um, he, as you say, had a, cam was. a camera practically attached to his hip by the sound of it. But that's where you found the appreciation of this sort of more relaxed, very honest um, style that you have. Did did he ever take the family to a studio? Not that I ever remember. My mum might have. Um, my dad um, still does take a lot of photographs now yeah. and he was a massive massive photographer growing up but it was actually my grandmother so my dad's mum who I would say has given me the most motivation to be a photographer oh. because she's 85 now and she still takes photographs at every single function every time she comes
comes to my house. She's still got a camera. She still shoots on film. She is not a photographer at all. She has no concept of how to use a camera, but she photographed so much of my childhood yeah. in such an honest way that they are just priceless snippets into my life. Yeah. So I remember when I first sort of bought my camera and I thought, hmm, what am I going to do? Am, am I going to work as a photographer? Am I going to just stay as a hobbyist? And I looked at other genres like most people do and you play and you experiment. But I always got pulled back to the real life, the real messy, because I didn't want to fall into that trap of living in an Instagram world where we feel really pressurized mm. to make beautiful pictures when for me, it was the content and it was the subject matter and it was the, the chaos and the mess, which I know as a really emotional mother that I am going to miss when they're grown up. As much as I absolutely can go batshit crazy about toys all over the floor and paint on the walls and stuff, I know that I'm going to really miss it. Yeah. So it's kind of my way to record it all, keep going. So it, it doesn't really die then. I can always dip back into it and and look at it. And I think that's really important. I am my ideal client in the sense that when I started and started looking at different genres to work in, I found that the easiest way for me to work in this professional practice is to be my ideal client and make the photos that I hang on my wall. Yeah. That way, the clients that I do get, are we are like-minded. We yeah. are the same same people and it makes things very much 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 easier um they pick the products or the the images which i love and they're easy to work with and it's it's at ease mm. so one client that i had i flew to poland for six days on holiday and i photographed her in her parents house yeah. um for six days on holiday stayed with them and just shot them for all that time and it was easy yeah i didn't have to pretend to be anything that i wasn't there was good old family disagreements and there was noisy chit and there was child and i went along and had dinner with them and it just means that if i shoot and i practice what i preach and my own work reflects my client work it just means that it all aligns yeah. and there's no uncomfortableness either which as a photographer, is sometimes difficult to overcome. I wouldn't imagine many people approach you expecting you to do anything other than what you show on your on your website and on the Instagram. But but do you have to do any coaching at all? Where where sometimes somebody might say, "Well, Kara, I like all that. Is there any chance we could do this?" And you're thinking, "Oh no, that's not down my line." Do you know what? Yeah, I will do it. Um, if I turn up and I, I shoot a family and they say to me, oh, do you know what, can I get like a portrait, like uh, me with like the grandparents? Mm. I'm going to say yeah as well. Because I think that there is, I, I wouldn't say that I was hardcore documentary. I definitely shoot in a documentary approach. I definitely don't go for pretty. I wouldn't tell someone to change their outfit to complement the outdoors colors and stuff like that no. but if someone's going to come to me and like on a shoot and say oh can I, can I get a picture of me and my son together I'm going to say yeah because I think when we look at family albums we have that wonderful mix of different imagery yeah. so I've got the photographs of me all stuffy and in like nice outfits as a child with my siblings and I love them equally as much as I love the chaos snapshots I think it, they can fit together. And, and a big part of my work is um, environmental portraiture. I absolutely love taking portraits of people and mostly of my, of my children. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm not going to be afraid at that moment to say, 
oh, uh, Toby, can you maybe just move a little bit to the left? In that moment, if I am working on a portrait for him, but if there's a big, busy scene, I'm not going to start saying, hey, stop, guys, stop. Can you, yeah. can you move to the left? Can you move to the right? But I think there's a happy medium. You say that people wouldn't contact me for other work i've had a lot of people contact me for studio work portrait work uh mini cake smashes i mean i'm the least person that's ever going to do a cake smash um but you do get people that reach out and ask you to do this stuff that's going to be a no because i mean i haven't got a clue on that kind of thing i think you'd be very good at cake smashes actually Uh, i think there'd be a care of you way of doing them but they they wouldn't look like the ones that are done in studios i'm sure they would be really really messy wouldn't they (laughs) They would be (laughs) But it's interesting what you say about the, the sort of um, the mixture of styles and pictures because we, we've had this conversation before where we look at, you know, you, you get the school photos back and they're always against the blue background. There's nothing particularly yeah. clever about them. It's the same thing year after year after year. And then we got a company trying to do really creative stuff and we thought, mm. what's happened to all those pictures that are just the same old background where every year you see your child get just that little bit older in that very cliche yeah. photograph because some of those some of those pictures are really quite important aren't they to be, to be uh, they to are be when you've got a mum like me who pays your daughter 20 quid to put the funniest face she can do <laughs> i actually did that i paid my daughter 20 pounds and she stuck her chin to her chest and gave herself a huge double chin and honestly it's like the best picture in the world um she i think i I feel awful because obviously the photographer must have had the worst like 10 minutes with her ever. But that's mean. And, and, and that's your humour, I think. See, I love school photos. Yeah, I always yeah. buy them because they are part of our social history. Absolutely. And they are part of um, growing up and they're part of really just concentrating, looking at their face at school. I love that messy collar of school dinners down them and like you send them in with nice plaited hair and they come out look like they've been dragged through a bush. <laughs> and I love the way that grandparents always put them on the wall um so i love all genres of photographs and i think that that the important part is i think in today's world is making sure that we include all parts Mm. so it's okay to have those really beautiful stylized maternity images and it's totally okay to go to a studio and have some really glamorous boudoir but you've got to make sure that you're leveling it out in your personal albums at home with the honest you and making sure that you are showing your house as it is Mm. and spots on your skin and unwashed hair because I think we are at a generation where we potentially could lose the real us and I don't want my children to get to a stage when maybe I'm no longer here and they can't open a photo album and see what their mum really looked like Mm. Um, and that's really important to me I just really want to represent and visually capture my family truthfully. What do you what do you say to a f- family? Because a free freedom's so important in the way you work. Do do you give them any any uh, guidance at all, or do you just say get on with it? Bit of both. Um, I know that when I first started, people would cover their face and not want the camera around. And lots of people ask, "Oh, how do you get over that?" My family don't want to be photographed, mm. and. I would never photograph anybody in an exploitive way. I'm not going to make images which are unsensitive to anybody that I love, especially clients. And equally, like I said, I probably only share 10% of my work on social media. So the images that I make aren't going anywhere. They're staying in the family. And it took, 
it probably took my immediate family about six months of getting used to me wearing my camera like a necklace and it just came everywhere with me so now it's become extremely normal for me to shoot my family and it's it's extremely normal for me to just grab my camera out and take a photo and equally for me to say to like my daughter oh Beebs, can I take a picture of you? Yeah. You look lovely there. Yeah. And she, nine times out of ten, says, yeah, because at the moment she's 12, but she really loves the pictures that I make of her, which honestly makes me feel best with pride because yeah. I guess in a way she can see, I guess, how much I love her through the pictures that I make of her. That's a beautiful sentiment. It really is. Um, do you, um, it's a difficult question, this, because we've been living this odd world for a year but I, I, do you, would you limit yourself to the amount of work that you want to do in a year, notwithstanding pandemics? Uh, yeah, I do, I do anyway, I think. Um, so prior to pregnancy from hell and COVID, um, that was my first year of business. 2018 was my, my first year of working yeah. as a photographer. And I would say that I was fully booked that year uh, because I don't, overshoot in the sense that i can't put in two three four clients a week it's too much i think because i give so much of me during a shoot and i shoot for so long yeah. i would just emotionally i think burn out so for me i would say two shoots a month is good for me right. because as much as i'm really hyperactive and bouncy i'm also need i need that time to sort of recoup and go back over the images and sit with them for a while and i feel like if i was shooting maybe two families three families a week i don't think i'd be i don't think i'd be able to cope with that mm. either we do need to talk about the kit. I mean, you mentioned it and the fact yes. that, that you've always got the camera um, never more than a couple of feet away from you, I would imagine. Well, no, I can, I'm looking at I can see it right now. <laughs> I did see you peering that way, <laughs> just to check it was there. What what do you use? So I shoot an awful lot of my work on the X100F. Mm-hmm. I love that camera. Mm. It's just, I, ha- I have had the, I, had, I started off with the X100 yeah. um, and then I quickly sold that and moved on to the X100S, which I probably used for about a year. Absolutely fell in love with it. And then I quickly, I didn't quickly sell it. It was, I I really loved that camera so much, but I upgraded it to the F and I have no loyalty. (laughs) I don't think, because I think if I sniffed the V, I would leave the F. Um, But I just love everything about how compact it is. There's no changing of lenses. So you can't get hung up on what you're going to shoot on. It's small enough to fit in your pocket. It's a little power horse. And what I love the most about it is that it isn't big and it doesn't really feel much more than a phone. And I will shoot clients on it. I don't have any qualms of shooting on that other than my um, my main body. So I, I tend to reach for that an awful lot. Mm. But I also have the X, X-T2. Um, is that the main body? Uh, that is what I use as my main body, oh. yeah, as the, the X-T2. Um, obviously, 2019 threw a curveball for me in the sense that I was due to upgrade. But I don't, I don't, I'm not the sort of person who is always pining for the next camera. I'm quite happy with what I shoot on. And the 16 mil doesn't ever come off of the main body. That is just, there's something special about that lens. And I just, I love it. I'll use it for everything. I'll use it for wide shots. I'll use it for portraiture, an absolute mix. So the 16 mil is, um, is on the X-T2. And then of course it's a 23 mil on the, uh, the X100. They're your two focal lengths. So you you work quite close and quite wide, don't you really for, for everything you do? Everything. I don't, I 
wouldn't be able to, um, especially with the family client work that I used that I have in the past taken on, I it would never work if I was far away. Because I think the the thing about shooting the way that I do is that I need to be part of the family. I've always said, like, people describe their, which is absolutely fine, but people describe their way of working as a fly on the wall. I am 100% a flea on the dog. I am in there. (laughs) I am right in the middle. Like, if there is, like, something going down, I'm right in the middle of that. And I think that that's a really important, like, way for me to work, especially with the kids. You come in the house and I dress a bit like a TV kids presenter. So I'm a magnet for children anyway. And you've got this camera and you're really exciting. There's no way, there's no way that I'm going to be able to work in the corner of the room and they got on with their life. It's not going to work. So I always prep the clients and say, call me your friend and I'm going to come around for a coffee. So my sessions, because I probably shoot for between four and six hours, the first hour, I would say, is just a warm-up. So I will go in... If I'm shooting in someone's house, I always wear my slippers. So I just have a coffee with them, get to know them, play with the kids so they're instantly at ease. Mm. And I shoot, yeah, close, really close and personal. And kids are amazing in the sense that they might become really obsessed with the camera, but give it an hour, they soon forget. And it's the same with tantrums and parents. As a parent, you can only keep up that oh, don't do that and be happy. And then all of a sudden it's gone and then you've got the tears and then you've got the shouting and that's when the magic happens. And that's when I want to be in the middle of it. I don't really have any, uh, I don't ever feel awkward about being in the middle of someone else's family because I guess, like I said before, they are my ideal clients and we kind of mirror each other. So it feels quite normal and natural to be uh, as one. I really want to talk about your writing. Um, It's a big part of you. Look, I love um the spoken word and and the mm. written word so uh instantly i was drawn to it um, when i looked at your well i'm going to talk about instagram actually because i was looking at your feed and there's a the striking picture of a father which is your husband and your very yeah. very blue-eyed son yes um, he, um your, your husband looks to be fast asleep um i don't know whether that was I, I don't know what the story was with the picture but i know you know the picture i'm talking about probably yeah I, 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 I want to read the words um for i could shout in the bathroom where it bounces and tenderly whisper in their ears whilst I hold them against me. And although I know they all know, I compliment my spoken affirmations with photos. My I love yous are poured into every frame I take. Deep within the rectangles is everything I adore and more, just as you are. Please don't change your pose or clothes, your ways or front, just as you are. For if I ever lose my voice, I can rely on my eyes to write our love letters. That is frankly beautiful. I mean, it's. Do you, I, I would I would imagine that on your Instagram grid, um, people must be drawn to these very carer moments. I'm going to call them. Maybe, yeah. Um, I just talk from the heart. You do, I guess. Yeah. And that is, I can't be anything else. I've just got to be honest. And it's but the way that I kind of fell fell into photography was a strange one. So. I worked as an illustrator after my little boy was born. So I graduated in 2006 uh, with a fine art degree. So I've come from a fine art background. And I had a little bit of time out to have children, lost my creative way completely, as lots of parents do. And then I started to work again and worked as an illustrator for two years. And it didn't really do it for me because... 
even though I was making visual pieces, I wanted to do the writing as well. Yeah. And I found that really difficult. So I did that. I, I, I saw it out, saw the project out. I was proud of it, the work. And then I moved on and I ended up crazy going online. And I found that there was an oral storytelling weekend retreat. Right. And I was like, okay, that's got my name on it. I'm doing that. <laughs> and I thought it was in Brighton. And I ended up finding out when I got there that it was Tunbridge Wells. <laughs> Right. Okay. I mean, that's a total. This is a total care moment, <laughs> and turned up with my bags, and I hadn't even booked the room, which I thought I booked. So that was the story, like to start the weekend off. Yeah. I thought I was going to have to sleep under a tree or something for the weekend, <laughs> um, and I and I kind of feel like it was a get massive game changer for me because. I am a talker and I like to talk and I like to write and I like to express myself verbally and I'm not shy about talking either. Um, I'm quite honest. I'm a very honest person. So it was in this like a wonderful like hut and we had to wear like slippers and there was no booze on campus and we had to be in bed by nine o'clock and it was just like massively like creatively bubbling. And I went on to work for that year as an oral storyteller. So I got a couple of contracts and did kids stories and worked with my local um, dockyard and did like some puppet stuff but I missed not making the pictures yeah. so for me I remember thinking you know I've worked, as an, I've worked as an illustrator and I've made the pictures but I missed the text and I missed I missed the stories and then I've worked as an oral storyteller but then I've missed making the pictures and that's really how the glass narrator was born it was a merge of both I'm able to make the pictures and write about the pictures and use the spoken word and use text to complement them but also they can be standalone as well so i can write i can write a blog and not have to include hundreds of photos or i can share a photo on instagram and not have to share any text and i really like that i like that freedom of being able to say Do you know what? i've got loads to say i'm going to write this i'm going to share this or just let other people have a look at the pictures themselves and make their minds up. Yeah, I encourage everyone to look at your Insta feed because it does feel like a masterclass in showing the genuine and real side of Kara Mew. It's not, it's not all Insta awesome and perfect and it's refreshingly authentic. Not for everyone, of course, Kara, but for your genre, for what you do, who you are, I do think it fits well. Do, does, it, does it come naturally to show people the you and, and not just pretty pictures of clients like... A lot of us uh, use that 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 grid for. Uh, I think I think it's scary showing yourself. I think it can be really scary. I think it can be daunting as well to put yourself out there on that platform because, as photographers, when we share our work, we're kind of sharing a part of us, like a wedge of our flesh. And if someone says something like negative about our picture, it's kind of like a negative thing about us. And when we've got us in the picture and it's a negative comment, that's all about us. Um, I don't actually share a lot of client work on Instagram purely for the fact is that most of my clients don't want me sharing their work. Mm. I find that extremely difficult as a photographer because we do rely on clients um, being able to say, yeah, sure, share my work. Um, but I think the nature of the work that I do record and the way that I think that people look in my pictures, maybe they aren't picture perfect. And also there's very, very personal moments uh, in regards to maybe nudity and emotion and stuff like that, they don't want to be shared. And 
as much as I do get frustrated with that, I totally understand it. And I'm totally okay with that. So I do share a lot of my own work that I make on there. And I I kind of do a lot of self-portraits as well because yeah. my husband is not a photographer. He I have like hardly no photographs of me because I've got my head cut off or <laughs> I've got no limbs or they're blurry. So I had to make that conscious decision that if I was going to be present mm. in my family albums, I had to take the picture. And we are all capable of doing this. Mm. We all have cameras that have got timers. We, I, and I know like with the Fuji, we can use the app so we can like pull it on, uh, use our phone as a shutter uh, to control the shutter. We, we've got the power to do it, yeah. but it's scary. The thought of taking a self-portrait yeah. for many is, is terrifying. And now for me, it's become a really normal, natural part of my professional practice to make sure that I am included in my photo albums because I don't want to be that invisible mother. I don't want to be the mother who says, oh, don't take a photograph of me. I'm like... I'm too fat or I look awful. I'm taking all of them pictures. Um, so I've got picture, I've got photographs of me uh, standing in my pants in the hallway three days after giving birth. And honestly, I look like I've just fallen down the stairs. But I love that picture because that's what I looked like at that time. And I never was worried about what I looked like um, because I was happy. I had a baby and I look back at it now and I just, all I see is like the love that I was looking at my, my newborn. But maybe if I had looked at that picture the same day I edited it, I might have discarded it for the way that I looked. And I think that it's so important to make honest pictures of you, sit on them, put them in the photo album, because I don't know anybody that will look at a picture of themselves 10 years time and hate it because you don't because you always look back and think oh, god wasn't that fat was i or blimey don't i look old now because you look back and you think to yourself yeah that was me and i think i'm proud of who i am and i'm proud of who i am as a mother and i'm always i, I don't i don't give a shit about what i look like to be honest most of the time because the people around me don't give a shit what i look like and they love me and I just think, well, I'm going to stick my face in the album and they can look at me forevermore. Uh, thanks to Kara Mew, whose approach to family dot work and the fine line between showing that and sharing her own family stories is so strong. And you know what? If there were ever a quote of the month akin to a goal of the month you might get on Match of the Day, it would be, I'm not so much the fly on the wall, but the flea on the dog in terms of uh, getting in there and being amongst it when she's making her pictures. Kara's going to return, actually, on the new Photography Daily Business episode coming soon in April, where we're going to dive even further into the way she works and hear some more of her stories. Today, over on Photography Daily, right after you've listened to this show, we're starting the week talking about travelling and making books from your travels. Right, before we go into questions, Kev, Instagram. More importantly, Prince Swap. Oh, yes, Prince Swap. Well, that's what I meant by Instagram. That's what we're doing. We're doing it through Instagram, aren't we? We are, indeed. Instagram, Prince Swap. That's what we're going to do. Hashtag FujiCast Prince Swap. You've got to be in it to win it. And the idea (laughs) is that I am going to curate the people that uh, put their pictures on there because somebody did mention to me, well, what happens if, you know, it's Europe and the UK and postage and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to try and pool people. So Europe with Europe. Yep. America with America, yep. UK with UK, etc. And at the moment, I think that's going to be really easy because we've only got five. <laughs> so Hashtag you... FujiCast print swap. Put your picture on there, yes. and then in a certain amount of time that I feel like we've got enough, I will then figure it all out, and uh, we'll do a print swap. You know, I think it'll be lovely. It's a slow burner, as they call it, Kev. Yeah. But we'll get there. 
Um, right. right, let's go for your questions. Kev, yours. Uh, okay, this is from David Harrison. Very simple question. He says, does APSC have a future with Fujifilm? Well, yes. Is <laughs> yeah. that the answer? <laughs> that, would, that would have been my answer as well, yeah. Yes, I think. Every time uh, this question is asked of Andreas, um, I see his eyes wander up to the ceiling just that tiny few millimeters more than they did the previous time yeah i think in fairness though i think a lot of people you know given the uh, gfx stuff a lot of people have uh, you know thought well where's the investment but yeah i mean absolutely i think you only have to look at the xt4 the um the the uh, was the other one they did the x xs one ten <laughs> the one that came out yeah. uh, just before the xt4 you're the ambassador kev <laughs> i know but i don't have that camera um and that and i know that that's flying off the shelf so yeah, yeah there's there's a there's a huge huge i think you know it's interesting because a lot of people over the years you know they're arguing they, they would say why aren't fuji filming the in the um full frame marketplace i want a full frame fuji film camera and and they you know, very rightly, many times said, "Well, we just don't think that we can fit in that marketplace. It's too saturated. You've got yeah. millions of other camera manufacturers in there, and you know, we, we're concentrating on what we do best." Yeah, uh, and they and they did it in the short eleven years they've been doing it, and then they went right, and after that, we're going medium format. <laughs> or, or whatever. I'll get abused for calling it medium format, but I'm going to call it medium format. Big sensors. Um, so they're doing that as well, but yeah, APS-C is is absolutely in my mind the you know the future. Well, the, I mean, the other thing is it's, it always comes down to lens and lens size, doesn't it? I mean, they've worked so hard on this lens roadmap, and you've you've got you've got you've got a spectrum of lenses there. That, I mean, I've just looked in the the cupboard here. Hold on, let me get two lenses out. Obviously, your thirty five millimeter and a full <laughs> frame. Do you want this one, or do you want this one? Okay, one of them one of them weighs half what the other one is. It all comes down to size, weight, the whole reason that you buy into this system. That's a lot to do with it, isn't it, Kev? Yeah, of course. And, you know, but you can you can take the argument further and say, well, then you've got micro four thirds, you've got one inch sensors, you've got, you know, you've got kind of phones, camera phones with with the tiny sensors. You know, yeah, absolutely. The, the smaller the sensor, the smaller the lens is yeah. ne- needed generally. Yeah. And so you, you've got choices. But I think Fujifilm have have nailed their their flags to that APSC wall and uh, you know will continue um, for sure i saw on the um, on the rumor sites this week um, something about xh2 no hand on heart i have absolutely no idea the rumor sites know yeah. far more than i do that's the one i want um, but you know if the rumor sites are, are to be believed it's it's a 2022 camera um 2022 yeah 2022 the year 2022 uh that's insane isn't it? the year 2022 oh, no. um and so that's you know we stood that's what's that 11 10 months away still and until we hit that year so oh, no. uh yeah i think there's good things to come apsc i'm excited by apsc i think i think i do like my gfx system i have i do love it and i would love to see the um the leaps and bangs they made with APSC, you know, go forward into the into the large sensor marketplace. But there's a physics thing involved, and you know, you you, you the smaller the the sensor, the smaller the lenses, as we just said. So yeah. Um, here's one from Kevin Beecham. 
Hello to both of you. Thank you for the podcast. I listen to every week. Uh, I'd be hugely grateful if you could answer this question, which I'm hoping is not another wishful thought that my ageing tech won't do modern things. When trying to capture a, a highlight in deep, shallow image, I can't find zebras or blinkies on my camera to indicate overexposed highlights. I have the histogram, and I can identify a clipped highlight and see a live view on the EVF, but wonder how accurate they both are in JPEG. Thanks and yada yada from Kevin Beecham. Oh, he's not far down the road from you. He's in Gloucestershire. No, I'm trying to get my head around that question. Ah, hang on, it's, it's a Fujifilm X100S. Ah, which does mm. change the the question a bit, doesn't it? It does, because I wrote a book about that camera, so I know the most things about it than yeah. anybody in the entire yeah. world. So zebras definitely not. Ze- zebras also is a is a filming thing. You won't see zebras um, not on any of the cameras, no, and, no, and no. unless it's the filming thing. So the zebras yeah. are the the little kind of flashing lines and stuff, or yeah. um, to show you got a, a you know you're you're overexposing. You're overexposed, yeah, while filming. Um, the blinkies, the exposure highlight stuff is in the newer cameras. Although I'm trying to, I'm, I I can't, I don't know whether. Does it show you that when you're shooting, or does it only show you on playback? I don't know because I, n- I never ever switch that on. Uh, I've got a feeling I never it, ever do. I've got a feeling it shows you um, as you're lining up for the shot, Kev. Might do. Yeah, yeah. but I've never know, used makes sense. Hmm, makes sense. But but yes, I'm fairly sure not in the X100S though, because no. uh, that's a few years old now. Uh, so the answer, the answer, Kevin, is uh, yeah, get a, get an X one hundred V. Enjoy, enjoy your, enjoy your trip to the X one hundred V shop. Um, <laughs> have you got time for another question, or should we? Let's go for a book, Kev. Right, book of the week, because you were being all very secretive about it right at the start. What's our, are you opening another beer? I am, but I did it under the table. <laughs> I did try. It made no difference. I did try. I just heard it. <laughs> Um, Uh, i did try i tried my best all right so book of the week this week is huge and i always say that but this is huger than the last huge one we had and it it possibly possibly mm, well definitely my top five favorite photographers uh another anton corbine book and this is called one two three four right those of you that that uh, don't know Anton Corbijn. He's a, an extremely famous photographer who does a lot of music. So he's shot everybody from NXS, U2, Depeche Mode, Kurt Cobain and yeah. his crew. Well, yeah. just the who's who. He's also um, turned into a, a pretty pretty spectacular film director, actually. Yeah. Um, but he's mostly known for his you know his music photography, I suppose. Now, this book we've talked about um, Anton Corbijn stuff before on some of the books. Yeah. It's basically a conglomeration of some of the outtakes and some of his more famous pictures. But it's unlike most of his other works or his other books there's uh, it's everybody it's literally everybody he's just kind of selected loads of pictures so i'm i'm just scanning as i look now we've got my fit literally my favorite singer of all time johnny cash oh johnny wow with his legendary guitar in los angeles i'm gonna flick i can't do page number because there are none Oh, uh, we've got Nirvana, Los Angeles, nineteen ninety-three. Now, these are these are often so the the pictures are. He's got an incredible ability to uh, to get candid pictures around the official kind of album covers and mm. promo shots, and that's that's partly because he you know he gets to know these people really really well. 
And uh, if you ever, there's a wonderful documentary about Anton Corbyn. It was on Amazon Prime. Uh, and he's such a introvert, real introvert. Is he? Yeah, absolutely. But but incredible. The way he gets his pictures are just incredible. Uh, so we've got Nirvana there. I'm flipping like 50 pages up front. Have you have you ever seen a film of him working with people then? If you say such an in- introvert, and I'm yeah. looking at some of the pictures here, such as, you know, uh, pictures with Morrissey and... Mm-hmm. Uh, U two and so him and Morris Jagger and well yeah well yeah I sp- yeah maybe that's the wrong one to choose but but you know usually um, music photographers have to be they can't be introverted because they're in this just weird world. True, I, I agree, but I think the reason why he can get he gets these gigs is because he he's not like everybody else. He doesn't turn up with all the fanfare and everything. He just turns up in his you know in his coat and his little camera. And just does his thing. He treats people like they are, uh, like just regular folk. Because, in many respects, he's as famous as many of these people. I mean, he yeah, did. Yeah. He, he, you know, he's directing uh, huge feature films. He did the American um, with George Clooney. He did the uh, Joy Division documentary, which was all uh, not documentary, yes. with a movie, which was yes. all in yeah. black and white. It yeah. was wonderful. And he was the uh, director of that. And Joy Division, if you read his biography. Was his kind of defining introduction to to kind of music, and and that explains the man really because well, I love Joy Division also, but it is it's a certain personality, I suppose that that kind of follows that that type of music. So you know, I got Bruce Spring. So I'm I'm gonna right, I'm gonna flick through ten pages, and I'm gonna read out the names: Bruce Springsteen, Sting, Susie and the Banshees, or Susie from Susie and the Banshees. Uh, Bono, loads of U two stuff, loads. Yeah, um, the Kate Brothers. Then we got oh, Johnny Rotten, Bjork. That picture of Bjork in London. Yeah. The, the, just she sat on a tube, and you know it's very quiet. It's you know she's probably going. Shh. <laughs> very good, care. Very good. <laughs> but it's beautiful. I mean, amazing light. Who knows whether they they commissioned this tube or whether uh, this tube um, train. Or whether it is actually, I just wouldn't be surprised if they just, you know, he just said to her, "Come on, let's get on the tube." I love. There's a. I don't yeah. know. If, I don't know if it's in the. Yes, it yeah, it is in the book. You've got uh, John Lydon looking over his yeah. shoulder in front of the New Yorker building, uh, back at Anton, and that kind of like, what the f- are you looking at? Kind of, but but a very authentic picture. And I suppose that you're right. If you don't turn up with a pomp and ceremony of you know a thousand lights and and, and a million uh, hairstylists and fashion stylists and i i suppose that's what they like about him isn't it i always see i look at anton corbyn's work all of the time and think well there's hope there's hope for everybody in the commercial world because it, it it's almost all natural light and you know i'm looking at this picture here metallica san francisco 1996 you know it's just the light and the shadow and the understanding of that is is what he you know he's so good at but then the personality really comes out you know the personality and it's just not staged you know that there's that very famous i mean it is staged but it's not forced there's that very famous picture of george michael uh you know lying on his side and we've got uh mick jagger there's, a, there's only a handful of color, color pictures um this is so this is quite interesting so you two you two feature a lot in that documentary um and there's there's a lot of kind of behind the scenes there's there's a wonderful scene where 
it's metallic so he goes into a hotel room with metallica and they're deciding on the um the, the cover picture of their new album and he goes into the hotel room they they rock up in in you know in their jumpers and things like that they just do not look like metallica and uh, and and he's there with all of the uh, the outtakes and the you know in the polaroids and stuff like that and they're all like oh I don't know, my hair looks a little bit and i don't you know i'm not sure about this blah 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 yeah. but they're just they're just having a cup of tea and enjoy, you know enjoying themselves um so adam clayton from youtube so he says you know in in when he's talking about um it, the photography in general really that that he thinks is so important for U2's kind of, um, you know, persona and their album covers and everything. And he, he basically says, we just wouldn't use anybody else. You know, if it's our choice, it's always going to be Anton Corbyn. You know, and then you've got Tom Waits there. It's it's just... And the, the one thing I want to make a point about this book, it's really good quality. Print quality is great. Um, you know, they're heavy pages. It, vertical images are, are you, you know, kind of placed accordingly on the pages some of the some of the other anton corbin books that i've got the the print quality hasn't been great or the not the print quality but the pages the the you know the the choice of paper um but this one's spectacular and uh yeah i just love it look at that and actually this leaving, is leaving this... leaving san francisco for reno he's just taking a picture at the back of his car and this is a bit, bit of a steal, really, because Abe Books have it at 33, Amazon yeah. at 43. Um, you can find stuff at Waterstones for 55. But I mean, if you if you compare it to some of his other books, like his 1955 book, that's 216 mm-hmm. quid. Depeche, yeah. Depeche Mode, you won't get under 100 quid. This, I mean, this seems really good value, actually. Oh, it's great. Yeah, because I think the reason why it, it's it, it's so big and it's so uh available is because they're not the pictures in here are not the official iconic pictures that have made album covers and things like that so they probably don't have as much copyright resell i don't know whatever the words are involved so um yeah they you know they, this is it's amazing uh, i'll just read a little bit of the of the the fly leaf because i think that kind of makes sense um it says representing the ultimate publication on the music photography of anton corbyn one of the most important photographers and directors working today this collection of images may never before published many never before published focuses on corbyn's evolving fascination with the music industry from the 70s to the present day anton corbyn's interest in music has been the engine of an illustrious decades-long career that has most recently involved the making of feature-length films such as the american and most wanted man and life uh, it's gloriously illustrated oversized book pays homage to corbyn's obsession with rock and roll do you know what you've uh, you've convinced me i'm i've just been clicking amazon as we've been speaking do it i love it gritty it. moody black and white yeah. what, what can you not like brilliant what's not what's not to like What's not to like? Um, a couple of questions. Actually, this is more of a uh, an observation than a question. Uh, hi, Neil. Hi, Kev. Just thought I'd drop you a line. As you were saying in your latest podcast, you were short of questions. Are we short of questions, Kev, now? Um, yeah, we could probably do with a few more, couldn't we? We can always do with more. Always, always. So click at fujicast.co.uk for the... Uh, uh, for the email ones, or you can go onto the uh, the Facebook page, of course, and uh, join in with the um, uh, w- with the the top the top um, post that you've got there. Questions for the show thread. Mm. Um, he says, "I don't have a question, but I do have a request. As I usually listen to your podcast while I'm out jogging, could you um, play a backing track of around 150 to 160 beats per minute?" <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, Kev, Kev this week took. Um, 
you, you took delivery of your um, your studio running machine. Did bought a treadmill? Yeah, yeah. Have you used it yet? No. Um, right. <laughs> It's up, though. Yeah. It's up. It's a bit like a gym membership. You do have to use it, Kev. Yeah. No, I will use it. Mm. It's only a cheap one, but um, I just, yeah, I can, I can, if I go on it twice a week or something like that, I'll be happy. Yeah. Do do the job. Um, And then a question from Frederick Hagland. Uh, Greetings from Fran Belgian uh, in the EU. Oh, don't rub it in. Um, (laughs) Excellent show. Question. I'm curious to learn about some of your uh, respective photographic aha moments i.e. a time when a realisation or an insight, not necessarily an original one, took your photography one or three steps uh, further. Examples for me include using spot metering, cutting down on time post-processing, using primes, filling the frame, working with photography projects. I guess it could be anything uh, from strictly photographic techniques and equipment to ways of approaching a subject and seeing things. I think one of my, my original aha moments very very early aha moments was um in aperture priority um using a canon 5d and how easy it was to uh to to go into uh, exposure compensation and dial down and get you know that that sort of thing that was one of my that was one of my technical aha moments uh what about you um yeah well my first aha moment was take on me that was great. <laughs> oh god kev love that oh really um but yes i i think i i re- I, vi- I do actually physically remember being at a wedding once uh i i reckon i must have been three years in and using yeah using exposure compensation constantly riding it up riding it down looking at the window light and thinking oh god and then i i you know i did have a light bulb moment and thought hang on why don't I position myself so I'm using the light rather than mm. you know fearing the light? Mm. Uh, and ever since then, that's that's been great. And and then spot metering came with that because uh, you know if you're if you're not shooting fully manual, allowing the camera to help you with the exposure is great. As soon as as soon as the electronic viewfinders come along with Fujifilm cameras that I was using, it was brilliant because I could just see I could see the exposure, I could see the highlights, I could see the shadows. And then further on, the more recently, I suppose, the last kind of three or four years, just cons- always shooting everything in black and white. Yeah. Um, by that, I mean in the viewfinder in black and white. Uh, so if you're shooting raw, you still get your colour images. Well, one, that, one of yours uh, as well would be the back button focusing, wouldn't it, as well? Back button but, focusing, yeah. yeah, there's, yeah, there's, yeah, been, yeah. there's been quite a few defining yeah. elements of things that have, that have made me think, yeah, brilliant. I think um, the moment I realised that uh, exposure compensation and always underexposed by a stop and a half, that for me, that was like, oh, I can just crack on now. <laughs> mm. uh, and, and away we went. Uh, what about artistic moments, though? Any of those sort of uh, artistic sort of um, aha moments? Did you have um, any of those? So not tech, but artistic. Yeah, not so sure, to be honest with you. I've, I've always been pretty you know, regimented with the style. I suppose if it, you know, when it comes to artistic, then I think that you know the, what I said about using the light rather than working against it—that's not really a technical thing. So perhaps that would be the that would be the ball I'd throw into that hole. For me, it would be the um, it would be sixteen mil, of course, for Fujifilm now. But for when I started, for me, I suppose it's kind of tech and kind of artistic. It, it was finding twenty-four millimeter that made all the difference to my photography suddenly it forced me to walk into a situation and engage with a subject and from that moment on really a prime yeah i think i think that was the game changer for me that was a real game changer yeah well it's 
all about the living daylights, isn't it? <laughs> is it? Right. Okay. Yeah. I'd say the thing is, it's all about light, isn't it, with them? Living daylights. Sun always shines on TV. <laughs> oh, no, Kev. Yeah. Oh. You knew what he was saying? Right. Um, have you got time for another question, or is it time for the uh, the theme tune? On that note, I think we should do a theme tune. But go on, <laughs> do, do one one more, one more question. All right, one, one more. Sorry, it, sorry, it, it, Frederick, it, it, for his terrible, terrible aha humour. Oh, what aha! Oh, great. <laughs> I used to love them. What was their names? Paul Wackatar, Morton Harkett, and then the other two nobody remembers. Um, <laughs> Jeff Petrie. He says. Uh, it's a little bit. This is related to a question we had earlier. People continuously argue about the need for full-frame cameras because they need to make large prints in double hyphenated quotes. Yeah. What's the largest print you've made with a Fuji APS-C sensor camera? How did it turn out? And did you love it? Made, well, you've made huge prints because you. I mean, that Tokyo exhibition of yours—they were huge, huge. Yeah, I haven't made them. They did them, but well, yeah, no, I mean, but, but I, I remember APS-C sensor. Yeah. X T one X T one no X T two I can't remember anyway but mm. somewhere we were they I had I went to a thing called CP plus in in Tokyo in That's Yokohama right. yeah and um, they printed some of my pictures which I'd taken on the original X one hundred yeah so it must have been X T one I'd printed on the original X one hundred. And they the pictures were seven meters wide. Uh, they what? were humongous. Seven meters. Seven meters wide. Oof. And they were from JPEGs because I was only shooting JPEG. Um, yeah, and they managed to do that. Now, of oh. course, they probably in Fujifilm. They probably have some amazing technology in their their labs to be able to do stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I mean. I've never had any issues with printing A3, A1, sorry. Um, I did A1 prints from my Fujifilm cameras. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So That's, it's just not a thing. No. Um, you know, if you go in, if you go in full billboard size, then. Well, you're going to use your GFX probably for that, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, and well, that's it for another week. Um, thank you for for joining us. Um, thank you to our patrons. So the the you'll be bumped to the front, of course, as we um, as, as as you send your your questions in via that now. See you in the Facebook group for any questions you have about today's show. Play nice, of course. We haven't given them a mention of late, so we should give them a big, nice, big mention. Steve and Peter, um, they're in there just to make sure that uh, everybody behaves themselves. Um, and uh, thank you to our, our, our guest, Kara Mew, today. And uh, the amazing book, actually, for, for once, will not cost you one million quid. Uh, from, from Kev, 1234 by Anton Corbijn. Um, I, I'm off to order that straight away. Um, yeah. What have you got planned for this week, Kev? Rugby! <laughs> Loads of it. Oh, it's rugby! Oh, no, but yeah. by the time this goes out, rugby will have happened. Which uh, means well, yeah. that well, well, next weekend's rugby as well. Loads it's, of it. Oh, well, there we go. You're all right then. Are you going to be riding your horse again? No. <laughs> no. I go to the tip. I've got a lot of cardboard to get rid of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. That's your that's your week sorted out. Um, if you'd like to send a question in, then uh, do send it to click at fujicast.co.uk or you can put it in the Facebook group. And we will see you next week. Bye, Kev. Bye bye. The Fujicast is an independent Loading Zone production. Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk. Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way.